Okay, what about now? I don't hear it anymore. <laughs> it's these dumb lights I have in my office above my <laughs> desk, and I didn't think of it until because I had my noise canceling on, and I couldn't really hear it. But I, but anyways. Okay, what about now? Beautiful, and that is why we schedule for an hour. Welcome back to Mastering Metail, a podcast masterclass on how to succeed in the world of e-commerce brought to you by Essential Digital Commerce. And don't worry, this episode won't last an hour. We just needed some time to get over the technical difficulties. Part of the job. But hey, we're ready now, so let's roll. In previous seasons, we've covered finding success on Amazon, Walmart, and Instacart through the lenses of media and retail, which you should definitely check out if you haven't. But today and going forward, we're going to go beyond the individual retailers and begin covering what we believe to be the most important topics in digital commerce as we come across them. We have a super exciting episode for you today, so I'll tell you a story about how this episode came to be. I knew that an episode had to be created with our guest for today because of his wealth of knowledge. Narrowing down a subject matter was going to be a challenge. Lo and behold, though, an email showed up in my inbox with an intriguing headline. What do we mean by e-commerce? Of course, I opened it and voila, I knew what we were going to talk about. Who emailed me? Well, I'm Russ Derringer, founder of Stratably. He actually emails me and many, many other digital commerce professionals regularly via Stratably, but more on that shortly. My name is Emma Irwin, senior editor and specialist at Essential, and your host for this series where we provide you with fundamental knowledge on retail and media in digital commerce. If this is your first time listening, thank you. You should check out our other seasons and episodes for comprehensive content on Amazon, Walmart, Instacart, and beyond. In this episode you've clicked on, you'll learn about writing an e-commerce newsletter, the not-so-often-discussed logistics of e-commerce models, and you'll walk away with our guest's recommendations for resources to follow and his take on how to think about e-commerce. Back to our regularly scheduled content. So what is Stratably? At Stratably, I help keep e-commerce teams on top of the market and also elevate and upskill their colleagues so that the whole organization has a very high digital IQ. And I do that through a twice-weekly newsletter and then annual programming that I create for my clients. And how did I end up with Stratably emails in my inbox? I'd like to say I found Stratably on my own, but Russ got connected to co-founder of Flywheel Digital, an essential company, Patrick Miller, before my time. My name is Patrick Miller. I am co-president of Digital Commerce at Essential. If you want to know more about Patrick and Flywheel Digital, you're much better at this than me. I will screw it up. You just give me time. Patrick, no. As I was saying, if you want to learn more about Patrick and Flywheel, then take a listen to the first episode ever of this podcast where Patrick takes us through the typical mistakes brands make when it comes to e-commerce. Continue, Russ. So I met Patrick Miller right around when I got started in the e-commerce landscape. And it's really been so fun to see him and Chips and the broader team's success uh, since that time. I, I think back in 2015, when I met him, there were probably a couple of people working at Flywheel and to see what it's grown into is really incredible. And I've always found Flywheel to be one of the premier leaders in the space when it comes to originally Amazon advertising and increasingly broader retail media and you know, sort of all things e-commerce, including the recent launch of the 3PL service. So uh, it's just been really amazing from an outside perspective to see 
all the success that, that Flywheel has had, and they've always been a great partner to me. And before we really get into it, our recurring questions. I'm going to throw you slightly off of your game and ask a question we usually ask within like my first few words to the guests, but you know, we just kind of blew over that. But what is the last thing you purchased online? Oh, this is so boring. I purchased a um, air pump for like- That is really boring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's really boring. Uh, <laughs> let me think if there's anything else more interesting that we purchased. <laughs> Groceries. Oh, yeah. Picking those up today. So that's another boring thing. Let's see. What else did I purchase online? I can follow up with, where did you buy your air pump? Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, I didn't even really need to ask, but like. I think Amazon has turned every category into like an impulse category because you can just buy stuff so quick. And I don't even know if I would have bought half this stuff if I had to like venture to a store, but they yeah. make it pretty easy, which I know is not a novel uh, observation, but nonetheless, um, uh, I'm a big, big shopper there. Okay. I'm going to plant a question slash idea in your head now, and we'll circle back to it at the end. So don't answer now. But what is something that has been on a digital wish list of yours? So something that you won't actually just purchase or impulse purchase that just sits in an online cart forever and ever. And we'll come back to it at the end to close this out and just I'll ask you about it and why and whatnot. But does that sound good? Uh, sure. I have to think about that, but sure. Back to that email. Okay, now we can actually get into what I brought you here for that I was really interested in discussing. And we're gonna go into this one piece. It showed up in my inbox one day and I thought the title was intriguing. What do we mean by e-commerce? And that just captured my attention because I was like, hmm, what do we mean by e-commerce? And so I read through it and I'll let you describe your own writing. But I went through it and I was like, we are on the same wavelength in that e-commerce is talked about and analyzed kind of all together as this lump sum of things. When in reality, like on the back end, the businesses and the business models are kind of different. And so I'm going to have you start off. Give me a brief overline on this piece. What do we mean by e-commerce? And then we can break it down further from there. Yeah. So I think you did a good introduction to it, but I feel like typically in the industry, all of us sort of just reference e-commerce as, as like one homogenous thing. And in the article I talk about, you know, usually that's because we're contrasting it with brick and mortar sales. E-commerce is a metric that's reported by the Census Bureau as an example. And they don't really delineate in terms of kind of the back end of, of how that those e-commerce sales come together. And typically, retailers don't necessarily give you enough information in how they report their financials to have a clear understanding of, you know, what's kind of like a pure play e-commerce sale versus a store powered e-commerce sale. Sometimes they do. And I sort of illuminate or highlight some of those uh, in the article. So it's just not really talked about. There's not a lot of consistently reported information on it, et cetera. But because the back end can be different, depending on the e-commerce model that a retailer or a brand is doing, that has implications for a lot of different things, especially how a consumer brand thinks about how they do business with a given retailer, uh, the growth potential for that business, the incrementality potential of it, retail media uh, implications, 
around it as well. And so I wrote the article to try to almost just get the conversation going a little bit around, you know, how are consumer brands talking about this? You know, are you considering e-commerce just one thing or, you know, in your organization, are you really kind of delineating and having different strategies and different expectations based on how a retailer is going to market online? And can you mention a couple, you've already mentioned a couple of the different kind of models that exist, but can you tell me more about those types of models just for the educational purposes? Yeah. So I sort of just broke it down into two buckets and I used Amazon and Target just to compare and contrast. So target.com is almost entirely driven by its stores. And so a consumer, a target a guest, as they would call it, can you know go into the store and pick out an item. They can go online and add an item that's inside of that store and go and pick it up in the store or pick it up curbside, or they can order online and have it shipped essentially from that store. They're doing some sort centers and things, but not to overcomplicate things. Essentially, that store is the central force that is powering Target.com's business. And it's something like 96% of their online sales are done through stores. In contrast, Amazon is what we could call a pure play e-commerce retailer. Wayfair would be you know, another example of that. But stores are not powering that digital business at all. They have, as you know, we all we all know, uh, in Amazon's case, a very extensive fulfillment center network and upstream and downstream logistics. But when you go and purchase an item on Amazon, that doesn't have to be and is not tied at all to a store. So those models are just you know very different. A Target.com, if you set aside its kind of small marketplace and the small amount of online only goods it, it offers uh, via dropship from consumer brands, it's going to offer the same amount of assortment online as a store, whereas Amazon has, as we all know, sort of this unlimited, or it might as well be kind of an unlimited assortment. So those are, you know, like very different models. And for Amazon, obviously they're doing 1P and 3P, but so much of the 3P business is done via FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, that I think kind of that distinction of two, Amazon versus a target model, uh, still holds uh, whether you're talking about 1P or 3P. Now that you are familiar with the different models of e-commerce and what we could mean by e-commerce, I asked Russ, how should brands be approaching which models to invest in? It often seems like the answer is everywhere, but maybe that's not the case. Yeah, I think... It's tough. I mean, I think that's what makes digital commerce challenging is like shiny object syndrome. And how do you know what's going to take off, what's not going to take off? You really don't. So I think you just need the right sort of processes or investment framework to be able to test and learn and make sure that you are staying on top of like what's available and what's changing, but you don't sort of like overinvest necessarily. And so that's why I try. I mean, that's pretty high level, but, but that's why I try to, you know, advise digital leaders is like, is live streaming going to take off in the U S is, you know, you go back a year. What about quick commerce? Like how, you know, big should we go into quick commerce? It's, it's very challenging to have a precise answer to that. But I think that 
you almost need to think of be like a venture capitalist and say like on a lot of these emerging models like let's put little bets and let's just stay close and see how it's performing let's have a conscious strategy of like why are we going into this channel what do we think it can offer does it offer us a chance to generate a net new assortment does it allow us to speak to a consumer in a new way does it provide some tertiary like x factor benefits like like certain data or quickens our feedback loop to impact the rest of our business like why are we going into these channels or trying these new mediums i think you just want to have a real clear kind of perspective but look you know if you're a big mass market brand and you're doing business with all the big retailers that that tends to have a gravitational pull to it and so that's where a lot of the energy and and effort and money goes to ultimately Stratably is a newsletter written for digital commerce leaders. And in the last section, Russ described the importance of digital commerce leaders making informed decisions about where to invest. But as we all know, making big decisions is tough even when you're in a leadership position. So where should these leaders be looking for more information and guidance beyond reading Stratably, of course? I feel like there's not a lot of great widely read media that covers this stuff. I mean, we're talking about fairly niche topics. So, but what I would advise is not necessarily where to go to read about it, but more is, um, can you develop or tap into a network, be, you know, just a part of a community, this e-commerce community. And I fell in love with this e-commerce community beginning in 2015, because it was one where everyone that was in it was really trying to figure out like, well, what this new thing, like, is it working? Is it not working? Why? Under what conditions, et cetera. And there's just a lot of value that can come from having, you know, just a network. It doesn't have to be tons of people, but just a network of, you know, a handful of really smart peers and, you know, non-competing categories or whatever um, that that you can talk to about this stuff and help you think through it. You know, maybe they've done some of these different tests already and they have specific information. Um, but I think that's a great way to really stay on top. And I would say in here in 2022, a lot different than, than um, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, ton of information is being published on social channels as well about this. And, and, um, and that's been interesting to see sort of that evolution. So you have a lot of service providers in the space that are trying to illustrate, you know, their, their knowledge of the market. And so they're pumping a lot of information out into social channels as, and that can be a great way if you really kind of closely monitor that stuff to understand like what's interesting, what's working, what's not. How do you personally find new sources or new people within a network to follow? It's kind of an organic thing. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of subscribers and so I try to connect with subscribers as much as I can. And then I get introduced to their friends and I'm also a pretty voracious consumer of information on this space. I have to be as part of my job. And so I'm always fascinated. Like each week I find someone new that I had never heard of that does publish like great stuff, typically on social channels. And it's like, oh, I would it's like a little Christmas gift or something every week where I find like, wow, this is a really interesting take. And it can be on kind of different things. Like to come back to analytics, like we were talking about before, I found like certain people online that talk specifically about retail analytics in a very like in-depth way. And so I've started to follow them. So I don't know, it's kind of an organic, just natural outcome of doing research. But I try to tell people there's such a, there's an infinite amount of content. There's abundance of content that's out there. You can't possibly 
read all of it. You can't possibly consume all of it. So you've really got to find like, what are the, you know, the one or two sources that you will definitely read or consume if it's like a video or audio, like what are the one or two or three sources that, that really speak to you that are really high signal, no noise type, type sources of, of Intel. And that's what you need to prioritize. And don't get too worried if you can't keep up with all the press release headlines, who cares? Like what are the, the couple of really high quality sources that you follow saying and sort of rely on them to, to um, sift through a lot of stuff that's low value or just kind of noisy. Following up on that, what are your three trusted sources? Oh, boy. And if it's too secret, but you you said, oh, you got to find your bunch of like super trusted sources, those like one, two or three of them. So I'm curious because this is how I am organically learning things. And so I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. So um, that's a great question. I will somewhat answer that question. Okay. <laughs> I'll accept. I think the analogy for me is that so Ben Thompson writes Stratechery, and it's a pretty widely read tech newsletter. And he was really the inspiration for me to, in a way, to go off on my own to try to be the newsletter writer for this digital commerce ecosystem. And in my newsletter business kind of evolved into going deeper with clients, but his model and sort of the level at which he was focused on sort of analyzing tech markets, not really retail he doesn't, I mean, he sometimes touches on on retail, but it's more like technology industry broadly. He's a resource that I read pretty much every time he puts something out. And even though it's not retail specific, the way he thinks about how markets strategically evolve over time has really influenced my thinking and how I sort of analyze analyze things. So Ben Thompson at Stratechery is like the one resource that I make sure uh, to read. Uh, ben Evans, I'm going to stick with all Ben's, um, but Ben <laughs> Evans is another technology uh, newsletter writer. He comes from a venture capital background, I believe. And um, I find his way of thinking really sort of novel and interesting. And he covers a wide range of topics. And actually the article, what do we mean by e-commerce that I wrote, he influenced that. So he talks a lot about looking at the logistics model as like the right way to think about how the retail market is 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 um, evolving and that directly uh, influenced that article. So he's another one that I really look forward to getting in my inbox once a week. Before we began to wrap up our conversation, we went back to what we mean by e-commerce and the importance of not thinking about e-commerce as one singular thing with one way of working, because that's just not the most effective way to think. Russ's takeaways on how this way of thinking can be beneficial. Yeah, I, I think it should influence very specific things like expectations around retail media performance, uh, which should be dependent upon the type of model. A store-based model is not going to be able to deliver the same volume or probably returns as a uh, peer play model. I think there's specific things around product innovation and why the Amazon team inside of a brand, for example, should be very focused and involved in the development of new products because pure play model enables essentially unlimited possibilities around assortment. So they should be a part of that. And there's unique 
P&L economics with a pure play model uh, that need to be incorporated into product innovation. So I think there's you know several kind of different components, upstream components that a consumer brand needs to be thinking about and how they might organize themselves differently, how they might uh, set different expectations for these different retailers rather than just looking at them all sort of as the same and they're all just doing e-commerce. And now we move into the end of this interview. So I think I'm going to bring us to the digital wishlist question, round us out completely. Hopefully you've thought about it, but maybe you haven't. Something on your digital wishlist that you just won't purchase and why? I'm so boring on some of this stuff, but um, <laughs> so what lives in my cart that I end up not buying are just tens and tens of books. So I like my eyes are so much bigger than my stomach, so to speak, when it comes to like what I can actually read and like consume. But I just, there's so many like interesting books in my Amazon wish list and cart that I just come across. I'm like, oh, I would love to read that. I would love to read that. I would love to read that. And then of course, like I get to evening and I, you know, end up reading like three pages of a book yeah. or something uh, before I fall asleep. So I'm just like never going to get around to this stuff. But that list is growing, you know, every day. Business books, a lot of nonfiction, but a lot of fiction in there too. I'm a big believer in reading fiction, which I feel like is a little bit contrarian in the business community, but wide range of topics. And uh, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe Maybe someday, maybe after I sell Stratably in a few years and, and uh, <laughs> retire and ride off into the sunset all the time. My last question was going to be, if you hadn't found this career path, what would you be doing? And so you might have just answered that with just reading books until you wither away. But it could be something different than that. Yeah, I'd love to open up a bookshop. I told my friend that and he said, that's a terrible idea. And I don't think you would really enjoy doing that in reality. So if I weren't doing this, if I weren't in the world of digital commerce, I would definitely want to be in the world of investments. I think investments are sort of a way to understand the world in a sense. And I love trying to understand market dynamics and what are the second and third order effects of certain events. And I think investing just really aligns with that. And so, like I said, that's where I started my career and I'm still, you know, really passionate about that and still, you know, really like it. So that's probably what I would be doing if I wasn't in the world of uh, digital commerce. That ties up another episode of Mastering Detail. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Emma Irwin, and the producer of this episode is Klaus Cancel, with sound design from Enos Tenchi. If you like this episode, please share it with your network and make sure to follow us for new content coming soon, educating you on the most important topics in digital commerce. And please visit and subscribe to Stratably at stratably.com and follow Russ on LinkedIn for even more e-commerce knowledge and commentary. Thank you for listening and see you next time.